Welcome to Veteran Voices, a podcast dedicated to giving a voice to those that have served in the United States Armed Forces. On this series, jointly presented by Supply Chain Now and Vets to Industry, we sit down with a wide variety of veterans and veteran advocates to gain their insights, perspective, and stories from serving. We talk with many individuals about their challenging transition from active duty to the private sector, and we discuss some of the most vital issues facing veterans today. Join us for this episode of Veteran Voices. Hey, good morning, everybody. Scott Luton and Mary Kate Saliva with you here on Veteran Voices. Welcome to today's show. Mary Kate, how are you doing? I'm feeling pretty good, Scott. How are you doing? Doing wonderful. We got you back. We've got a, uh, an all-star guest that we're going to yes. be talking to here today. So we're really excited. I'm super excited, especially because JB is also one of my mentors. So we got one of my mentors and good friends on the call today. Awesome. So folks, excited and then super excited, which is uh, <laughs> an exponent, exponential in terms of excitement here today. So love to have Mary-Kate back with us and have our great guest, which we're going to introduce in just a second. But we're, we've got a wonderful conversation teed up with a veteran, a business leader, a big-time philanthropist, and servant leader. So stay tuned for what promises to be a great discussion. Now, Mary-Kate, before we get started, quick programming note. Veteran Voices is part of our supply chain family, mm -hmm. supply chain now family of programming, I should say. Today's show is conducted in partnership with our friends, dear friends at Vets to Industry. Talk about a home run nonprofit doing powerful work yes. for the veterans community across the country. And Mary Kate, Vets to the numeral two industry.org is where you can you could hook up with Brian and the rest of the, the V2I fam, right? Yes, absolutely. And and I we probably wouldn't have this conversation if it wasn't for Brian at this industry or with our esteemed guests. I, I literally think it just trailed blazed the trail for this conversation today. <laughs> I agree with you, Mary Kate. So on that note, yeah. we want to introduce our special guest here today. Our guest serves as the assistant manager for security with the Los Angeles Angels. He's also a veteran and retiree of the United States Army, and he's a volunteer leader with the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, which we're going to find a lot more about. Please join me in welcoming J.B. Hasso. J.B., how you doing? Great. Thanks so much for having me. Super excited to be on the show today and see Mary-Kate again. No kidding. You know, J.B., you might, you might agree with me here. I, I swear if the city of Atlanta could just find a way to connect the utility grid to Mary-Kate Saliva, that would be plenty of green energy for years to come, right? <laughs> Definitely. That's why they got to so, pay you all the big bucks, Scott. They're going to write you a check out soon. Something like that. All right. We're, hey, we got to get creative in our solutions, but I uh, love the vibe you bring. And of course, JB, uh, I want to say we met at an earlier uh, event, probably at Vets 2 Industry. And I, I'm really looking forward to sharing your story here today. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to being on and, and talking about it. All right. So on that note, before we get to some of the heavy lifting, uh, JB, we want to better understand, you know, where you grew up and some of those stories of your upbringing. And let's make sure, you know, uh, we'll tackle this in a second, but we hear that you're a sneakerhead. So we got to talk sneakers with you yes. and talk some sports. But before, <laughs> before we get there, tell us about where you grew up. Yeah. So uh, I grew up in Long Beach, California. So uh, LA uh, County area um, kid, you know, just growing up like a normal Southern California kid, you know, uh, right. along the beach and. Join the nice weather like uh, today it's still in the high 80s and 
can't beat it for November, right? So, uh, but yeah, so grew up there. Uh, actually had a really good uh, experience. I started out in Catholic school. So I learned about, uh, you know, being in a private school and then switched over to public schools. And I actually, actually went to the best high school in all the nation, Long Beach Polytechnic. So Long known Beach as, Polytechnic. Yeah, that's known right. What? So known as uh, really popular for, uh, we're known as our, uh, for our, our sports, of course. Um, and a lot of actors come from our school. So, so somebody like Snoop Dogg or Cameron Diaz or, you know, tennis great Billie Jean King or great military leader like myself, J.B. Hasso. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, we have the most NFL players of any high school that have come out of our school. So pretty, pretty amazing school. And, you know, I've, I've met some of my greatest friends there and, and we'll talk about one of my friends, I think maybe a little bit later, but. So, yeah, so I grew up, uh, did Boy Scouts, played Little League Baseball, you know, made the Eagle Scout and Boy Scouts. And, wow. you know, just had a, a, you know, a blast living down here in Southern California. You know, it's, can't beat it. Let me ask you a question about Eagle Scout. I'm, I'm very jealous of that. As, that is a tough honor to earn. Yes. Of your family, which, which member of your family was most proud of you accomplishing Eagle Scout? Oh, that's a hard one, but I would probably definitely say my mom. Yeah. So she was always the one uh, driving me around and, you know, getting me to point A and point B. And, you know, it was a funny story is I never even got my license until I was 18 because I was just so busy with scouts and everything else at school and all the activities I was doing. Um, I was a little like 15 year old kid that decided to you know, organize a 5K, 10K run in my community, which became the city of Long Beach's largest running event when I was 15. Wow. Um, yeah. So wow. we started uh, yeah, operating budget. Back then in the late 90s, it was like 35000 for us to run it and then got up to $80,000 as the years went on. And, you know, so a little kid just doing this and trying to make a difference in the community. So uh, and I had a blast doing it. So, okay. Uh, one more question. What, and, and then we're going to talk about your uh, sneaker head and your, maybe your sports. Don't forget uh, that, uh, Scott. Uh, uh, I can't, I can't. I'm <laughs> dying to know this. But I want to ask, you know, clearly you've got a long lifetime record of giving back and volunteerism and and making you know making a difference who or what instilled that in you as a young man that uh, that started you on that path yeah i'll definitely say um, my dad was a really big uh, influence on that and i think he was just always involved with the community and always wanted to make it a better place and even going back to um my grandfather too, like he was really big. I mean, he moved here from Mexico when he was young and uh, really like, you know, really generated a lot of, uh, you know, interest in helping, you know, other um, Mexican-American families and his own family and uh, really setting a presence here in Southern California. And so I think between them two uh, and along with, um, uh, which was my city council member back in Long Beach when I when I was growing up, Jeff Kellogg, who's actually the brother to former 82nd Airborne Division uh, General, uh, Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg. Um, so I think they, you know, Jeff Kellogg was very, in, you know, instrumental in my development and, you know, getting involved with the community and what I could do to help, you know, help the city out. So, you know, three influential people that I really had uh, helping me out as a kid. No shortage of mentors, no shortage of mentors. That's awesome to hear. And, and I really admire your your action focused give back and service um, uh, approach. We need, we certainly need more action focused leaders um, all throughout history, but especially during these challenging uh, times. Okay, so let's move on to, to something a little bit lighter before we get into your 
military service. So Mary Kate, you were giving me the goods in the pre-show about JB on a lighter note. So, so give me a couple things we want to ask uh, JB about before his military service. Oh, I've got to ask JB, you know, one of the things like when we, we met each other down at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, you never wore the same pair of shoes. So I got to <laughs> ask <laughs> from someone who only owns like a few pairs of shoes, uh, how many shoes do you have in your collection? And, and tell us about your favorite pair, if you can even narrow it down to one. Oh, yeah. I think favorite pair is pretty difficult. But yeah, so I have I just as a kid, I've always liked sneakers and shoes. And so I just grew a passion for it. And as I got my own paychecks, I was able to like buy my own pairs and it, the, the collection just kept growing and growing. So made it up to I think I'm about 467 right now. I think it's quite a bit of pairs. Uh, <laughs> Did you see but, Scott's face when you said that? <laughs> I was so expecting I, a couple dozen, JB. Yeah. <laughs> 467. You need yeah. a warehouse an inventory only, manager to keep right. those things straight. Yeah. There's only 365 days in the year, JB. But I have to tell you, Scott, JB said <laughs> the only pair that he wears the same are his boots. Those are the yeah. only ones that he didn't have a different set for, but <laughs> different. Yeah. Love it. All right. Quick follow up question Are New Balance sneakers still cool? Depends on the brand, or it depends on the, the model, I should say, not the brand. Yeah, I mean, I would still wear New Balances. Yeah. If I was still flexible, I'd show you this pair of shoes I've got on my feet right now. But I'll, have to, I'll, I'll pose that to you after today's interview. Um, all right, one last question, and then Mary Kate's going to take us through your military service. Uh, you're a big sports buff. Yes. Uh, you mentioned you're an Arizona uh, University of Arizona alum. So beyond the Wildcats, right? Yep. For Arizona. Uh, so beyond those athletics, what else are your some of your favorite teams to follow? Oh yeah, so definitely um, I'm a huge uh, Baltimore Ravens fan. Uh, so after the LA Raiders left LA when I was a kid, um, you know I was heartbroken. You know, so never lived in a city until uh, I moved to Baltimore. I was stationed in Baltimore and became a Ravens fan. You can't, you cannot not be a Ravens fan if you live in Baltimore, right? Purple right. everywhere. Um, and then I grew up a Dodgers fan. Um, and so always a, a, a true Dodger blue fan. Uh, and then now I work for the angels. So of course I'm an angel fan. And so we're, we're doing some good off season trades right now. So, uh, I think we're pretty excited to, uh, to see some, uh, some, you know, greater, uh, capacity as we move into the new year and, and some it. more wins. Yeah. Way well, hey, let's get one of the best players in baseball back. Mike Trout looking forward to him getting back healthy and doing what he does, which is, is continue to build out a Hall of Fame career. So love the Angels and, and best luck to the franchise. The Dodgers, uh, I'm going to keep on going to the Ravens. I got to skip over those Dodgers. So, <laughs> but the Ravens, man, how electric uh, the, the quarterback that, that came out of uh, Louisville, I can't remember his name right this yeah, second. Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Yes. He's like watching, you know, as a Falcons fan, which our heart's been broken time and time again, you know, Michael Vick was so electric when he came mm -hmm. uh, to Atlanta, played for Atlanta in those early years, one of the fastest players in the league. He could also, you know, uh, lead a, a passing offense as he uh, proved out during his run here. And uh, I love, I'm kind of, uh, JB, I'm kind of, I wouldn't say I'm a bandwagon Ravens fan, but I'll find myself pulling for uh, the Ravens and and uh, Jackson, and we'll see if he can bring home a Super Bowl championship, right? Yeah, we definitely need that. Yeah, it's been a, a few years. I think 2013 was the last time we won, so, yeah, we can, we can use that a couple more. That is right. Yeah. That is right. I was thinking if the Ravens had won one since the franchise was moved 
to Baltimore from uh, Cleveland, oh, Cleveland, right? And they have one. So you've already got. So come on, yeah. let's share the wealth. Send the Super Bowl <laughs> championship to Atlanta, would you please? But hey, all right, I digress. Well, Scott, I know um, who I'm bringing a trivia night for the sports trivia. So <laughs> that's right. And he's going to win me all the big bucks in the Jeopardy categories. <laughs> that is right, man. And Anne, uh, any shoe trivia or sneaker oh, trivia, yes. of course, we've got our player there. Okay. So, Mary Kate, as much fun as we're having, kind of in uh, who JB Hasso is the person, we're going to dive into his military uh, journey now, right? Yes, absolutely. And JB, one of the big things, I mean, not that I'm biased or anything that we're both army, but I was like, with Scott's like, who should we have? I was like, I got to bring another army brother on the show. So uh, if you could talk to me, JB, about your, you know, you picking the army branch out, all the other branches, and then sort of where you've been in your army career. And I know I I definitely want to Scott and and all our listeners today to hear about the the book that you had, you created particularly a one location that you ended up in in your career. So you can tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. So I decided to join enlisted in the army because the air force recruiter didn't answer the phone. So, uh, (laughs) typical, right? (laughs) So I don't know what the air force recruiters are doing. He or she was out golfing. I'm sure. Right. (laughs) They were enjoying Southern California beaches, I guess, but uh, I don't know what they were doing, but I definitely knew I didn't want to be a Marine or a sailor. Um, and then we didn't have space force back then. So it was, uh, (laughs) definitely army. It was. And, and, uh, so I originally wanted to go, uh, be, be an MP actually a military police officer. Uh, and then my dad's like, absolutely not, because he's he, uh, he's a veteran too. He retired from the army. He's like, absolutely not. And then I was like, well, my option, one of my options is Seaburn or chemical. So he's like, do that because you're just going to be in a cage issuing masks and you're going to be by yourself and you, and you promote fast. And so I was like, okay, sounds good. So that's what I ended up doing. I, you know, uh, became a chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear big old handful or mouthful of right. letters. But yeah, became a with Seaburn um, specialist and um, didn't expect my career to go where it went. And I was very, um, very surprised, very lucky to have had such a great career, 23 years in the military or in the army. So started off at Fort Lewis or now joint base Lewis McCord, uh, did a tour over in uh, Korea, South Korea. And then that's where I was at for 9-11. And then when 9-11 happened, because I was going to get out after that. And then when 9-11 happened, I decided I needed to stay in uh, and continue to serve the country, so, which took me to Hawaii for several years, uh, eight years, and then back out to Maryland. And then I assessed for the Joint Special Operations Command, or JSOC. Uh, so I went through the assessment process for that, got selected, and I was super excited for that. And then spent eight, uh, yeah, about eight years there at JSOC at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, which was absolutely phenomenal being uh, in that type of unit. And uh so collectively, when you look at 23 years of service, like there is a lot of it's incredible. things. incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a long time. And it was, I learned so much in that process that, you know, I think, you know, I, there's not a point in that career where I ever uh, regret doing something different or I just treasured it all. I, mean, I absolutely loved it. What was your favorite? You mentioned a couple different uh, stations and, and locations and commands and whatnot. From a geographic standpoint, from like a, a local vibe of the local community standpoint, what was your favorite state duty station? Oh, well, everybody knows it's going to be Hawaii. Uh, uh, <laughs> everybody that knows me. Carolina, I know, is your, your ultimate. <laughs> you got to meet me there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's yeah. good. Nope. Hawaii is beautiful. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely love the, the eight years in Hawaii. I was in two infantry units. I was super scared to be in 
when I got selected to go to an infantry unit, I was like, oh man, I don't want to go there. Like uh, infantrymen are rough. You know, I was always in support units and then I absolutely fell in love with the infantry units. And uh, so I was in the second battalion, fifth infantry regiment, Bobcats. And then, uh, which I deployed uh, to Afghanistan with, that was my first deployment. And then my second infantry unit was the first battalion, 27th infantry regiment, the Wolfhounds, which I have a lot of passion for and a brotherhood with. Uh, we went to Iraq, and then that's where I created and uh, developed the, the book, uh, The Wolfhound Reflections, A New Generation, which really captures, it's a photo book uh, that also tells stories, but it captures uh, what it's like to be an infantryman through our eyes in, in Iraq, in Baghdad, Iraq. So I think it was, it came out pretty successful. I, you know, I was really happy with how the book came out and showed us what it was like, you know, to be on the ground, you know, so. Well, JB, it was no question that you made a huge impact. I mean, I, I attended your retirement and you had, you even had the, the flower lays there. So even having that little bit of the Ohana and the island culture there, but having your, your family, I realized that you touched that, that joint connection with not just the army, but you had air force brothers there. You had Navy brothers, sisters there. It's like this whole like joint jb you were like the middle of the joint service that you just connected everybody so um i definitely feel like that was something i i got it from you is just really being including everybody so yeah definitely that book was okay. incredible absolutely incredible just like your experience in the in the family but i, I know scott's dying to ask ask more about it here <laughs> well two things and you're right mary kate uh let's make sure we get a link to how folks can get the book and let's oh, put yes. that in the show notes. So uh, I'd love to look at it. I get, get a copy myself. And then secondly, to Mary Kate's last question, JB, I mean, I think she put that really well based on the little, little bit of time I've been able to kind of better understand your, your outlook on life and your MO. Do you see yourself and was it intentional and deliberate to be that connector that helped, you know, help make things happen in the military, which we, which we really need. As we all know, me being in the air force, y'all being in the army, you know, there there's, can be loners. There can be all types of people, right? Mm -hmm. And we really need those connectors to to bring folks together and sue through those tough days to keep the mission going forward. Was that something deliberate you applied to your leadership style? Um, no, I think it was just natural. I think, um, yeah, so my parents were really, you know, I think when you look at foundational values and the way that you're raised, I think my parents really gave me an opportunity and, and really showed me how to, like, open up and connect to people and bring people together and make people happy. And, and I think that's where it really, you know, developed. And it was always like that for me uh, growing up as a kid and, you know, through my military experience. And even now here with the angels, you know, like trying to connect and bring people together and uh, collectively, like, I, th I just believe that it's, uh, you have that family, you know, atmosphere, no matter where you're at, you know, you're, you're going to be more successful. I love that. Mary Kate, yes. we need to convince JB to run for politics, whatever <laughs> office, you've got two backers right here. Man, we need more folks that view the world like that, right? Rather than div uh, divide and 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 kind of um, inflame things. I love your view there. So absolutely, Scott. Yeah, that's that's the one thing I really was drawn. I know we talk about we could talk back and forth as if JB is not here, but JB, it's just <laughs> you know it, the way that you're able to bring people together, and you did it even in your your transition, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but. I'd love to hear uh, to caveat like Scott's question earlier about who was uh, pivotal in your upbringing, but now in your military career, who were those those few folks that really stand out that that helped uh, launch a successful military career for you? Yeah, so for me, it was you know, so I'm 42 years old, so getting out of the military at 42, like 
somebody's always told me what my values were going to be, right? So my mm -hmm. parents set the foundational values for me uh, in life. And then when I joined the Boy Scouts, the Boy Scouts of America told me what my values were going to be. So, right. you know, the Scout Oath and all that good stuff. And then the Army said my values too. So I, I never really went back to think about it until I was retiring of who were the most influential for me. And as I was able for the first time in my life, develop my own values of what I wanted to do. So as I really went back to go look at my values, I think one of the things for me was learning about authenticity. And I think being authentic was just, was like a key value of mine. And so I go back to my very first unit, you know, the 513th Transportation Company at Fort Lewis, Washington. Uh, and it was a collective group of people. So my company commanders, I had two, my first sergeant, my two platoon sergeants, and they really taught me to be me. And I think the army uh, gives you your left and right limits, um, but you need to still have, uh, be authentic to yourself, right? So yeah, so I think, I think for them, that was a collective group of people that were really influential. And then I think when I went to Hawaii, uh, my Wolfhound family from the 1st Battalion, 27th Infantry Regiment, collectively, uh, that group of people um, were very influential and they really helped develop. So those two units and those people, my leaders within those two units really helped me develop who I am uh, throughout my military career, but then also have set the foundation for me as I've moved on outside of the military. I think that's great, uh, great, JB. And, and just even from att attending your retirement, you had numerous officers that were talking about the things that you taught them. So I thought that was really incredible because you as a as a senior enlisted leader usually tend, you know, in our dynamic in the military, it's usually top top down. But for you at that level to hear these uh, senior officers talking about the impact that you had in their career, I thought was incredible. So um, that's that's amazing. And I I'd love to, to hand over Scott here to to ask you a little bit more, because I definitely want to pull in and you have so many nuggets of information on the transition too. love to hear it. Yeah. Yes, I agree with you. And Mary Kate, we're, we're going to have to get some of the stories that I bet some of JB's uh, service friends and mates had to share on JB. We get the goods. We'll bring we'll bring you back oh, for yeah. the uh, a look behind <laughs> episode, uh, JB. But uh, I think all kidding. the gag gifts were under the table that day. I don't think they were. <laughs> <laughs> well, tw gosh, twenty three years. What a remark! I mean, beyond everything else you've shared, you've been a part of, and, and we're going to touch on some things you're doing now. Man, 23 years of, of dedicating and serving the country, and, and um, I'm just honored to spend some time with you here today. Okay, so JB, I want to talk about your transition, and we spent a lot of time talking about the transition here on Veteran Voices. It's one of the common themes. It's that because I think a lot of folks continue to struggle with their, uh, with their transition. Very true. I think, I think on the other side, Mary-Kate, and we've talked about this, the private sector and corporate America, while they've made some strides, you know, there's still plenty of, of, of um, improvement we can do there as we embrace our, our veterans that are transitioning and, and we find them good jobs, not, not uh, being underemployed and some of those other, other challenges that are out there. So, JB, question to you, if you tell us about your transition in general first, if you would. Yeah, so I think, uh, so working at the Joint Special Operations Command or JSOC, I was really busy all those years. So traveling the world, uh, making it a better place, just throwing in this little Michael Jackson song for you and for me and the entire human race. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so traveling and just being super busy all the time and never had time for myself and then COVID hit. Right. So March, uh, so around March 17th is when COVID really shut everything down in North Carolina and Fort Bragg area. So for the first time I got to like 
like calm down, like sit on the couch, not do anything, sit in, you know, shorts and t-shirt and just watch Tiger King. Right. And, oh gosh, really? <laughs> and, and so then at that point I realized, Whoa, I like this break, like, you know, and I'm actually able to take care of myself for once. And so at that point is like, man, I'm already over 20 years. It's time to move forward and, and, and retire, hang it up. So during that, those couple months that we were on COVID, like I, I, took that opportunity to say, yeah, I'm going to retire. This is it for me. You know, I'm going to go through uh, September of 2021 and that'll be it. But during those first five months of, of my transition process, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know anything. And all I knew is I had a blank canvas and I could paint it whatever colors I want, do whatever I want with it. But as soon as I said I wanted to retire, I felt very isolated and I felt alone. And there was nobody around me because my unit and everybody else would continue to move forward and, uh, you know, continue their mission. And great military leaders as we are, we're really good in teaching our soldiers or, or you know, our sailors, Marines and airmen. We're able to teach them how to shoot, move and communicate because we've all done that. We've gone through that process. But as military leaders, we haven't gone through a transition out of the military yet. So we don't know that process and we don't understand it. So what we do, and I've, I'm guilty of it too, as a military leader, when somebody's told me they're going to get out of the military, I'm like, okay, go take care of yourself. You got it. Well, I, cause I didn't know what to do, you know? So I was in that same situation. So within my first five months, I just heard other people saying, oh, go do this, go do that, go do this. So my first five months, I spent 132 meetings uh, that I did. I did 189 hours on Zoom, 54 online classes. And at the end of those first five months, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. Wow. Absolutely wasted. I wouldn't say wasted. I, I did say wasted, but it's not what I meant. <laughs> but um, I spent a lot of time doing things that weren't really helping me develop of who I wanted to be outside of the military. Okay. I gained a lot of knowledge and, and um, but it really wasn't going to help me to where I wanted to be. Once I went through a process or a, a nonprofit organization called the Leader Transition Institute, they have a, a course called uh, Changing Focus from We to Me. That's when I really discovered my purpose and my why. Yeah. And when I got that, then it really focused me down to what I really wanted to do. And as I talked about, I absolutely love sports. And so I knew I wanted to get into sports, but I didn't know really how to do that. Um, and then being in the special operations community, I also heard about this other program called the Honor Foundation. And so I uh, like signed up, applied for it and got accepted and went through the program as Mary Kate did as well. And so we went through that same program and that was when I really learned like how, how do like, uh, here's my purpose. Here's my why, like, how do I get to it? And they really helped lead me to, to where I'm at today. Um, so I think that was like the big pieces of the pie that a lot of people just don't think about. And right. I think when you look at lessons learned, I think finding your why or finding your purpose is priority, right? Because time is our most precious resource. So I spent 189 hours on Zoom and, and all these classes. None of that in those first five months helped me get to where I'm at today uh, in the sport, Major League Baseball and sports industry. There's other things I should have been doing if, if I would have known earlier, getting certifications that help me in the sports industry, like the certified sports state, uh, stadium sports professional uh, and other avenues and other classes that would have helped me get uh, and have better opportunities here in sports. Yes, so I think getting, getting the certifications that matter and then absolutely without a doubt owning your transition.
Go ahead, Mary Kate. Sorry. I was I was saying like the you mentioned earlier about being like the a nuclear biological, like having weapons of mass destruction on your resume at the top of the list. I don't know, Scott. Like, what, what do you think? If, as a civilian, I would be in, a little bit intimidating, right, JB? So I think we had that conversation. Actual talk about virtual cups of coffee, but then in person cups of coffee. Talking about how do we get weapons of mass destruction is something that a civilian, someone who's never served, going to understand what kind of skills you bring to the table. Right. And that, and that's, that is a, it's one of the biggest parts of the challenge, right? It's one of the, that, that building bridges across those gaps, it, you know, we've made a little progress, but we got to keep getting a lot better. And so that, so that the language that us as veterans and military members are now having with, with corporate, you know, private sector, all, all those hiring managers, they're fluent in the language we're talking and we're fluent in the language they're talking. And that's how we can, we can hopefully find better opportunities. I want to, one question. As you were, I think one of the best things, one of the many things I liked about what you just shared is something that so many folks, myself included, walk right past and overlook. And that is rather than, uh, I know I, when I, in my transition, I was focused on just getting a job, getting a job so I can pay bills. Man, if I had taken the time to do what you just described and really better understand what I love to do, right? And then once we identify at least something you know, you're not going to have the perfect answer probably a lot of times because it evolves once you identify the first thing, but then kind of figuring out how to get there, resources, certifications, network members, meetings, whatever. And that, I think that is a golden nugget that folks listening to this conversation, it might sound, um, you know, if I'm still in uniform, that might strike me as warm and fuzzy, but that that is such a truth of life determining what you want to do. Mary Kate, what, how do you, how do you, respond to what JB just shared? I think it's it's spot on. Um, just JB is more organized than I am in the sense of keeping track of how many virtual cups of coffee. We sort of had like this little condition <laughs> of like, how many are you up to now? Have you done like 80 cups of coffee? And uh, it, it was a challenge for me too, to like to think you can just cold message people on LinkedIn or just say, will you take a time to talk to, to me? I'm transitioning out. I have no idea what I want to do. But I think that the truth of the matter is people have a semblance of of what they don't want to do. So mm-hmm. I think keeping track of like, you, do you want to work weekends? Do you want to work nights? Um, what Are you wanting full-time, part-time? Are you going to balance school? So I think there's things that we know that we don't want to do, but we we don't sort of put it at the forefront. And, and I, I think that's something what JV was saying is spot on. You can invest all these hours and, and still not know what you want. So start with your why. I love that. Okay. So now Mary Kate's taking us into the next, next aspect of this transition conversation. And, and by the way, I'll just add to what Mary Kate shared, start putting it on paper, what you do want to do, what you don't want to do, start building a list. That's going to help you. It's that simple. Um, okay. So let's JB, you've already shared some, uh, some nuggets just as you've shared your transition story, but if you had to really put a fine point on that pencil and, and let's say you're the keynote of a big grand auditorium, maybe it's Dodger stadium. Maybe it's what park do the, do the angels play in? Angel Stadium. Angel Stadium. How the hell could I forget that? It's, it's the grand daddy of them all. It is a big, you know, thousands of of, of uh, uh, veterans are transitioning through. You've got a chance and they're captive attention. What's a couple of things that you'd really be specific about in terms of, of best transition practices? Yeah, so I think owning your transition is really key. And I think something I heard the other day to how to really talk about transition was have you ever used the navigation system Waze? Yeah. Yeah, Waze, right? So it's a social media navigation system, right? 
we're all going at different speeds and we're all getting going different you know directions and going different ways but at the end of the day if we're driving up from you know fort bragg north carolina up to the baltimore we're taking the 95. there's a whole group of cars that are doing the same thing they're all going north you know whether they're going to baltimore or new york or you know going to dc everybody's moving north right Yep. So everybody has a, they're all in a different situation, all in different cars, all, you know, different makes and models. Right. And so as you're moving North, you're utilizing each other, utilizing ways to get there. Yeah. So where the, the fastest, police at? Yeah. Where the police are at, where broken down cars at, if there's construction, <laughs> if the road, it tells you when you're getting to Fredericksburg, cause that's when the, the traffic stops when you're going North on 95. Right. So, exactly. <laughs> Right. When, so, but it's telling you different ways and how to get through there. Right. So it's, it's those, a whole bunch of people trying to move in a direction all in their own little ways of how to get there, but getting there. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's how transition is. I and mean, we're all, you know, military members trying to get out of the military and, and develop a new life outside. And, but we need to utilize each other to get there and utilize all the different resources that we have lean on each other. There's many, many, many times where, you know, I leaned on Mary Kate to help us, you know, help me get through those, those points. Um, but utilizing each other um, within your own story, within the things that are happening within your own life uh, to move forward and get out and continue to leverage on each other as you get out, because Absolutely. the day you get out and you transition out, now you're transforming uh, into a new life. Just like in the military, we spent at least the minimum of eight weeks transforming us from a civilian into a service member right? right so tap is only four days so that's the transition part now we have to transform um you know into becoming a, a civilian i guess you could say you know i love that it's, 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 it's um lifetime advice really right um and and you know i think what i've seen at least mary kate would welcome your thoughts is as we're going through that together you know, we all hit different resources. It's our radar. A lot of times it's not a good fit for me. Well, hey, you sit down and have a cup of coffee and you're talking about, you know, recent observations. It might be a perfect resource in someone else's blind spot, right? So I love that. Uh, I love that Waze analogy, by the way. Yeah, and, first uh, time may, I heard that one. Yeah. May all of you listening not hit, <laughs> not get stopped by the popo. So make sure you're paying attention in those hot spots because you know that caravan of cars that JB talked about. They're not just moving all together, but they're moving at 90 miles an hour, right? Just at that, at that uh, sweet spot. All right. So Mary Kate, I'm going to make a change for once in my life. It's going to feel real good. Going to make a difference. Going to make it right. Yes. What is that, JB? You know, hey, you started with the whole Michael Jackson songs, <laughs> Man in the Mirror. I had, to, I had to get one in there. Mary Kate, if you were uh, you know, back to that analogy, grand keynote, talking to you know thousands of folks that are transitioning what's one piece of advice you'd offer up well i like i go back to that ways analogy that jb just said but your family's on that trip with you so I, I think that that was something that even i took for granted on the hours of a cup of coffee there's a literal sense to this that jb and i i took him to an actual coffee shop that ended up being his favorite coffee shop down in north carolina but one of the things was taking that moment and i think it was five months for me too five months into my transition that i was like i've, I've got my family i gotta think about you know what what's my husband's transition going to be like, where does he actually want to go? Does he want to stay in the same job? Um, what can I do with these resources of these over 45,000 veteran service organizations that I can do to help him? So just remember who else is in that car with you. Um, and, and they're on that journey with you as well. So 
Absolutely. And don't let the reckless ones drive that car. Right? Uh, so not it, me it, then. Um, not, <laughs> what's that. funny, what's funny here, I'm making a little observation is when I threw 90 miles an hour out there, neither one of y'all blinked. So maybe I'm the slow driver here. And you're like, nah, <laughs> like we do that every day. All right. So now that we've established I'm the boring driver, uh, I want to talk about what you do now, JB. So we've kind of walked through your uh, your upbringing, some of the big things you did there growing up in, in, in California. Uh, we've talked about a lot of your service projects, the Eagle Scout, man. And it's been 23 years serving the country and serving your, your fellow uh, soldiers in, in the U.S. Army and, and many others. Um, and then your transition. And now we kind of arrive at, at what you're doing now. And, and we're going to tackle this via Major League Baseball. We're also going to talk about uh, one of the big time causes that you're a part of. So let's talk about what you do with the angels first. Yeah. So I was pretty, pretty lucky utilizing my networking and, and uh, everything, like I said, in the transition process to only be out of, uh, out of the military one month and then landing a job here in major league baseball. So if you look at, you keep in mind, there's only 30 major league baseball teams in the United States. Right. So I landed a position in one of, one of the 30. Right. Um, so as the assistant manager of security for uh, for the stadium. And I think when you really look at it, you know, security, people don't really pay attention to, to security at stadiums or any venue when you go. You're just wanting to see, you know, Shohei Otani hit a home run or pitch a perfect game or Michael Trout, you know, catching that ball as it's going over the fence, right? Right. So um, that's what you're here to get, you know, drink a whole bunch of beer, eat some hot dogs and, and just have a great time, right? Um, Have you been peering in on my baseball activities, <laughs> JB? Scott's like a little kid over here. He's just loving all of this. <laughs> right. Like, when are you going to get us free tickets, JB? <laughs> Love it. Love it. Yeah. But, but, but JB, the point you're making, you're right. Mary, right, Mary Kay. I mean, I, I don't think, I don't think nearly. I'm, I'm there to see a game, enjoy company, hopefully watch my team win. All the other stuff, Absolutely. to your point, is kind of in the peripheral, right? Right. Yeah, definitely. So I think that was something that, really drove my excitement. So right before I got out of the military, I was able to do uh, a three-month internship with the Houston Astros uh, single-A team, the Fayetteville Woodpeckers. And that's when I finally did that internship, or a lot of people will call it a SkillBridge program. Uh, mine wasn't part of the SkillBridge. I coordinated it by myself. But doing a SkillBridge or understanding that internship, and then I really challenged I, – I knew once I started doing that internship, that was my love. And that's what made me – I would. Wake up in the morning, you know, not feeling like P. Diddy, but feeling like me, uh, going this forward. Pair and, of sneakers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. And, so, and then going there and, and enjoying the game, you know, and being there and watching families, you know, make memories together. And that made me so happy and getting them in that stadium, getting them out of that stadium safe. You know, and that's what I'm doing here with the Angels, you know, helping them out, you know, being a part of that team to make sure that fans have the greatest experience they can here uh, in Anaheim. And then, and then, you know, they can leave safely, you know, and then make sure the players are safe and the staff and then the venue remains safe. So, you know, that's what I'm doing here. And I'm love it. truly loving it. I can tell. It's all part of the, the fan experience, right? FX, just like customer experience is a, is a big thing these days, which is really cool to see uh, all of us as consumers and customers and in the fan experience and all uh, in a holistic uh, way of kind of looking at that, which I'm hearing you talk about, JB. Um, okay, so one more follow-up question before we talk about the, the initiative and cause you're, you're volunteering with. What is the 
uh, Tough. What, what what is the thing about your role in Major League Baseball? Because only a handful of the of the world's population have a chance to work for a Major League club. What's one thing that surprised you when you when you when you came up from May of Fayetteville Woodpeckers, which is a new major, minor league team on my radar now, up to the big time with the Angels? What's one thing that might have surprised you? Well, I think the the biggest thing, I think, obviously, the crowd base, you know, from 6,000 people, at, um, you know, in Fayetteville to, you know, you know, nearly 46,000 people here. So a huge difference. The stadium just massive. But I think when you look at minor league baseball, there's such a few front office staff uh, and everybody has multiple roles to major league baseball where everybody has their unique role and piece of the pie and how it all just comes together. And so you have, you know, it reminds me a lot of the military. I mean, it does. It reminds me a lot of the military. So they they do their you know critical thinking and the way and their plans development uh just like how we do in the military military decision making process you know they they call them memos but we call them op orders you know and so it's really interesting it's basically the same stuff um and without a doubt and uh, which is really fun to be a part of that process and um and then come in with a little military mindset a little bit coming in and bring in some you know some things that people didn't think about so Hiring managers that are hearing this conversation, if you just heard what JB talked there, the, the terms might be different, what we call this and what we call that, but gosh, the angels get the opportunity to draw on 23 years of experience where he's, you know, JB's doing a lot of, of what he did in the military. We bring so much value to the table. So I really appreciate you making that point, um, JB. Okay, so Mary-Kate, um, when, when you suggested that we uh, get with JB's agent, and get him on the show, get him booked. Yes. That was a tough way to go through uh, oh, an army of agents, yes. JB. Um, but but kidding aside, you really uh, talked about his work with the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network and how important that was. I just saw you earlier on social dropping some of the, some of the latest around that, JB. And Mary-Kate, that really, clearly that was something that stood out to you when, when you, I guess, first you know, got to meet and, and, and work with JB earlier in, y- in y'all's career. Is that right? Yes. And I, I'm actually wearing purple too. And it's like JB's wardrobe. So she started changing the, to purple, but this is even a special month too. Uh, it's a, one of the awareness months. And, and so, but what I love is like JB advocates for this cause is something near and dear to him with his personal friend that he'll talk about, but the, it's throughout the whole year, you know, we have these awareness months, but for, for JB, this is like something that I, I'm just so proud of you. I see you out there all the time at these different social engagements, and it's about helping the transition service member, but you're also empowering us that there's causes that are part of like our, our moral compass that are part of our personal journey that we can also share. So it's like, yes, we're in uniform, but there's there's something that, that makes us unique that we, we can define beyond the uniform. So I'd love to hear more about how about your friend, about how you got started in this and what you're doing now. So going back to my childhood, I talked about Long Beach Poly, right? Right. Um, so I um, was running cost country and track uh, at Poly. And uh, when I was a incoming junior, the new incoming freshman class was coming in. And at that point, I met one of uh, the new incoming guys uh, his name was Tyler Nason. And uh, so Tyler was absolutely phenomenal athlete and played soccer, ran cross country track, one of our top runners um, and, um, you know, playing in the band, did everything, you know, and all the girls are always in awe over him, too, which was really fun uh, to be around and be a friend of his. But 
Uh, he ended up moving on, going to uh, UC Berkeley and, and did a successful time up there and cr- running cross country and track and having a really good uh, time and then meeting um, his, uh, having a girlfriend and which became uh, his fiance and, and later became his wife. But um, when he moved back down to Southern California, was working in the aerospace, aerospace industry. He still was very athletic and, and uh, was out playing soccer one day and he did a header, you know, hit the ball with his head. And as he came up, he felt a lot of pain in the left side of his, you know, his, his abs. So I uh, went and did some scans and, and found that he had stage four pancreatic cancer. So he was 25 years old, stage four pancreatic cancer. So when you really think about that, he is 25 year old. I remember what I was doing when I was 25. And if you guys go back and think what you were doing when you were 25, he had to change from living your life at 25 years old, they're trying to survive, right? 66% of pancreatic cancer patients will die within the first year. So my cousin actually was just diagnosed in July. He survived 11 weeks before just passing away a few weeks ago. So yeah, so it is at that point, 66% will die within the first year. And then when he was diagnosed, when Tyler was diagnosed, only 4% would survive five years. So that means 96% of the people would die within five years. So it was a death sentence. And so I didn't really know about these statistics. I knew that Tyler was young, fit, you know, athletic. And so I was just like, when I found out he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, I was like, okay, you're going to be fine. Do some chemo radiation. You'll be back at it. But then uh, in 2010, he invited me to go to Washington, D.C. and go do some advocacy in, on Capitol Hill with Congress. And so at that time, I didn't know anything about pancreatic I didn't even know where the pancreas is or where it is in our body right. or what it does. And, and then he brought me to this organization called PANCAN, the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. Then I started to learn that it was the first organization dedicated to fighting pancreatic cancer uh, in a comprehensive way and really focusing at research, patient services, advocacy, uh, and the community, bringing it all together. So it is the largest uh, pancreatic cancer organization in the nation, really fighting and helping you know increase the survivability. So back in 2010, four-year survivability, uh, four, a five-year survivability was only 4%. At 2020, we made the 10%. So we, we, because of the help with the community and research and developing a strategic plan, we've really gotten forward to uh, where we're at. So uh, by, we have set new goals. By 2030, we want to make it to 20%. So 20% of pancreatic cancer patients will, you know, will survive after five years. So in the past, there was no early detection initiatives or methods, you know, and because of us, we've been able to develop uh, some new uh, early detection uh, initiatives that are in, you know, just been approved and and moving forward. So they're really looking at uh, genetic and molecular uh, testing to to help people out uh, and, and do that early detection, because there's no way by the time, I mean, you've never heard of anybody that's been diagnosed with one, two, or three pancreatic cancer. It's always been stage four. Uh, so it's a death sentence. So there's 60 affiliates throughout the country of, of okay. PanCan, uh, one being here in Orange County, California. So once the Orange County folks saw or heard that I was coming back to Southern California, they snatched me up and they're like, we need you to lead the Orange County affiliate. So without a doubt, I said yes, came out here and became the affiliate chair of Orange County's uh, affiliate of the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network and, you know, and, and doing our part here. You know, we're trying to increase awareness. This month is Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month. So we're really trying to make people like talk uh, about pancreatic cancer, test, do that early detection testing and seeing where you're at, uh, do CAT scans and then, you know, take control of your actions. Right. So if the doctor's like, oh, yeah, it's 
whatever, or we can't see the pancreas in a CT scan. Don't just say, okay, no, go back and do another CT scan so you get the pancreas. So right. I'll tell you the truth. I had some, some, some side pains uh, a couple months ago and I had them like take several CT scans because they couldn't get uh, in the imagery. They couldn't get the, the, the pancreas in the scan. Uh, and finally they got it and there was nothing was wrong with it, but and then it was just some other issue, but yeah. So I think that that's important for us, you know, and, and for anybody out there that knows anybody that's been uh, diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, or if you're a caregiver, or if you lost somebody uh, from pancreatic cancer, you can reach out to PanCan. They have patient services, which is one eight seven seven, the number two PanCan. So P A N C A N. So again, one eight seven seven two. P-A-N-C-A-N. And they will Wonderful. definitely help you out um, and, and lead you in the right direction, help you give you the resources, uh, you know, to help fight this disease. So I, I hate to hear about your friend and your cousin and 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 mm-hmm. all the other folks that get diagnosed uh, with this uh, terrible affliction and then some of the uh, prog- prognoses that they receive. Um, it, it's great to hear. On the flip side, it is wonderful to hear of the great work that you and, and the pan can and all the other supporters and how that's moved the needle in terms of what those prognoses look like. That is wonderful. So JB mentioned all the folks, if you need help, but the flip side of that is if, Hey, if you want to get behind a great cause, if you want to donate, if you want to volunteer, I'm assuming there's some opportunities there, but certainly donating and, and, and uh, you know, we need resources in these battles, right? So PANCAN, P-A-N-C-A-N.org, which stands, of course, for the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. And you head up one of the 60 chapters, that being in Orange County. Is that right? That is correct. Orange County, California. Yep. Okay. So we are going to do one event uh, this year that's world or, or nationwide called uh, PANCAN Purple Stride. So it's our walk to end pancreatic cancer. So it's happening on one day, all 60 locations throughout the U.S., on April 30th, uh, 2022. So uh, again, you go to pancan.org, uh, find out about Purple Stride and, and walk. It's free. You just join for free and walk it for free and wear your purple, you know? Pretty, Love it. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome event. Love that. Okay. <laughs> Got my purple too. <laughs> I, I, I see that. And so April, 2022, a great call to action. You got time. So so the reference, you know, JB and Mary Kate both have talked about how the month we're in, which is November when we were recording this, is a, a big mo- uh, a month for pancreatic cancer. We'll probably publish this episode in December, but you, folks, hey, you still got plenty of time. No excuses to get behind that April event in 2022. Okay, Mary-Kate, I, I, I shared a couple of my observations around uh, his work uh, with PANCAN, the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. What sticks out in your mind? Yes, well, first of all, thank you for sharing a story about a Tyler's story about your about your cousin. Um, just uh, that awareness factor is so huge. And, and I think w- one of the things to get across too that you mentioned is that you don't have to know anything to get involved. Like you, you just started somewhere and it was as simple as, as Tyler inviting you and getting you to Capitol Hill to fight for a cause and really just amplifying our voices together just really 
shakes the roof off of our um, nation's leaders. And just to see at the grassroots level, we just need to amplify their voices for those who can't speak for themselves, especially. So thank you so much, JB, for the work that you're doing and continue to do. And I'm gonna keep rocking purple this month and, and onward. I realize that I need to add more purple to my wardrobe, but it really <laughs> is just a matter of getting that conversation going. And uh, I can't say I'll ever have as many shoes as you, but I think the purple thing is something I can do. Um, but again, thank you, thank you so much, JB, for taking this time and opportunity to share your story. Agreed. I love it. Well said, uh, as always, Mary Kate. Okay. Well, uh, there's so much more here, JB. I feel like we're just scratching the surface. I love so much of, of how you look at life and more importantly, how you act on life yes. and how you help others and serve others. Um, all right. So let's make sure folks know how to connect with JB Hasso. How can folks do that? Yeah, so you can connect with me on LinkedIn. So it's uh, just uh, JB Hasso. My name's on the thing, JBJSO. Or you could also connect with me um, on Twitter and, and Instagram as well. Again, JB Hasso. And then the number three is my handle on both Twitter and Instagram. So, hey, can I, can I challenge you, JB, as we promote this episode uh, a few weeks down the road? I'd love to get a snapshot of, how, of, of your sneaker collection. Right, that would be some unique some, yes. some unique images, right? That you know, we try to find a unique angle with each of these shows, and uh, and and hey, maybe I'll, I can uncover what the cool sneaks are, so I can I can get with the times, JB, and I'll also bring you back, maybe uh, my sneaker consultant, and you can tell me thumbs up or thumbs down on my collection of three three pairs of sneakers. <laughs> okay, folks, connect with, follow, you name it. Uh, with JB Hasso, get a, uh, be sure to visit pancan.org. Be, be sure to connect with him on LinkedIn and beyond. Uh, what a great guest. Really appreciate your time, JB. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Now, we wouldn't have met JB without either or maybe a combination of Mary Kate, Saliva, and vets2industry.org, which are our partners, brothers, and sisters in this journey to amplify veterans' point of view and, and thought leadership. So, Mary-Kate, you're up to some really big things with the PMI organization and others. I don't think we can release some of that cool stuff you're up to. How can folks connect with you, Mary-Kate? Oh, yeah. So definitely on LinkedIn, just like JB. I don't have as many uh, social media handles, but he's definitely got a fascinating journey to watch. So I definitely recommend subscribing to watch JB. But um, you can definitely connect with me on LinkedIn at Mary-Kate Saliva, and that's S-O-L-I-V-A. I think I'm the only one that's out there, but happy to have a, a virtual cup of coffee or in-person cup of coffee if you're in the Western Maryland area and you know, happy to help you wherever you're at in your journey. So thanks, Wonderful. Scott. And hey, I, I want to plug it because I think veterans in transition, if they haven't uncovered the Project Management Institute, check out PMI.org, right? That's a great oh, yes. resource. Absolutely. And, and what I love so much about, I found out what JB was hitting on is that I found out I wanted innovation. A big part of my why was paying it forward to the next generation. I really feel like at the Project Management Institute, I'm being able to do that now with um, engaging the military and veteran as part of the military veteran outreach at the Project Management Institute. So check out PMI.org, see all the great stuff they're doing under the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. It's pretty incredible, um, the change makers uh, that are out there around the world in project management. I agree with you, but we've got two change makers right here between JB and Mary oh, yeah. Kate. JB, and, uh, admire. Well, we admire, I admire 
both of y'all and what you do. I'm so glad we had a chance to hear firsthand uh, JB's story and, and some of the things that's important to him and some of the things he's doing. So big thanks to JB Hasso. Big thanks to Mary-Kate Saliva. Mary-Kate, always a pleasure to Thanks, connect sir. with you on these conversations, right? Congrats, everything, all the good news you keep churning out. We look forward to the next episode. Yes, thank you, Scott. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much, JV. And uh, yeah, I, I would say, I keep thinking I need to say go some team right here, but they're filling the blank of whatever team you're you're rooting for. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll say go Army, right? There, there we That's go. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, hey, hopefully you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have. Be sure to connect uh, JB and Mary-Kate. Hey, on behalf of the entire team here at Veteran Voices, we invite you to find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Of course, big thanks again to our partners at Vets to Industry. Check them out. Man, you talk about a nonprofit unmoved that's doing powerful uh, action for and on behalf of our veterans community, Vets, the numeral two, industry.org. Uh, uh, with all that said, this is Scott Luton signing off for now. Hey, challenging you to do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. Be just like Mary Kate and JB, the world be a better place. Hey, we'll see you next time right back here on Veteran Voices. Thanks, everybody. Mm-hmm.